Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Morning, guys. How is everybody? One small little correction to those announcements is the move up for Sunday school is next week. Not two weeks, next week. So if you're... Um, if you got a cakey and they're moving up, my son's moving up in a class. He's going to be leaving. I can't believe it. He's leaving. Yesterday he turned nine. He's leaving Sunday school. He's going to fourth and fifth grade. That's huge. He's going to have to sit in and, and big people worship and everything. So that is next week. The rest of us, let's turn to Romans chapter one. Everybody doing all right? I'm going to tell you, first service was awake. So I'm expecting like you guys to be with me today, all right? All right. Romans chapter 1, we are continuing in our series. We have a, in, in our series in the book of Romans, and this is our fifth week in the book of Romans, and we got a message called Saints, Beloved, and Called. And today what we're talking about is who we are in Christ. We want to develop a right understanding of our identity in Christ. And identity is a big deal for humanity, isn't it? Because the way that we understand ourselves, the way that we see ourselves, the places that we find value will affect the way that we think, it'll affect the way that we act, and it'll affect the way that we interact with one another and other people. Now, someone once said, kind of I think jokingly, I don't know who said it, but they once said that everybody exists in three identities. There's the one that we tell ourselves that we are. There's the one that we tell other people we are. And then there's the one that God knows we are. But what I want to encourage you in today is this. It's that third one, the one that God knows we are that's most important. But it's also the one that's most beautiful. When you understand who you are in Christ, that's a really, really, really big deal. And so that's what we want to grab a hold of today as a church. And so as we open our Bibles to Romans chapter 1, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would speak these truths into our heart today. That we would leave, regardless of how we came in, we would leave with a great sense of who we are in you. What you've done for us. The transformation that has come. And then we would want to then live our lives in line with what you've made us what you've bought for us by the blood of Christ on that cross. And so we ask that 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 truth, that reality, be evident to us today, and we would leave, grab hold of that, and then walk out these doors and want to live practically what we are positionally in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be looking at verses 5, 6, and 7 today. And in the opening verses in the book of Romans, as you well know, Paul is introducing himself. In the first couple of verses, he mentions that he is a bondservant of Christ, that he's called as an apostle, that he's set apart for the gospel. And then in verse 5, where we pick up today, Paul's introduction of himself continues. And he says that Jesus Christ, our Lord, was the one that gave him great grace, right? He says through Christ, he's received grace. He's received apostleship to bring about obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his name's sake. And so Paul in these first verses are speaking of himself. 
He's saying that he's the one that has been shown grace, that he's the one that has received a unique authority as apostle, and that he has this special calling upon his life to be this apostle to the Gentiles. But then in verses 6 and 7, the introduction of Paul of himself is over. And he now turns from telling them who he is to now telling them who they are. And that's where we pick up in verse 6. And he says, and you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Now that word as there is not there in the original language. It's just called saints. We are called saints. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's three words in those two verses that I have underlined that speak of who we are and the way that you and I ought to see ourselves and the place we ought to find our identity. The first one is there in verse 6. It says that we are called. I have that underlined. Then in verse 7, it says that we're beloved of God. And then finally in, in verse 7, it says that we are saints, that you and I are saints. And so a right understanding of those of us who are in Christ, anybody who has surrendered their life to Christ, who is a born-again believer, a right understanding of yourself is, number one, that you're called. This has to do with origination, meaning that your Christianity didn't originate with you, that long before you ever considered pursuing God, He was already pursuing you. You were called. He was already after you, he was already pursuing you. In fact, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 here that he chose us in Christ Jesus even before the foundations of the world. Number one, we're called. Number two, it says that you're beloved of God. This has to do with motivation. It says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that God demonstrated his love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God called us to himself, but the motivation behind all of it was love. We are to understand and view ourselves as the beloved of God. But then he calls us saints. That one might be a little bit harder for us to wrap our head around, right? Because we understand we're called, right? We, we get that. And we've been given great love. And so we, we're kind of like, yeah, I'm good with called and I'm good with love. But what happens when he calls you a saint? Saint has to do with your position in Christ. Look again at Ephesians 1.4. We'll finish the verse now. We only began it earlier. He says that he chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the world that we would be what? Holy, blameless before him in love. That's what the word saint means. Holy. Set apart. In fact, if you're using a certain translation, it already goes ahead and translates it. God's holy people. doesn't put the word saint there. It says God's holy people. So what the Bible is telling you and I is that before the foundations of this world, God's will for you, his desire for you, his choice was to make you holy. Now, the reason is, is because he is holy and he wants to have a relationship with you. The problem is that we're utterly sinful, and a completely holy God 
cannot have any fellowship with sin. And so he had to make us holy if he was ever going to have a relationship with us. And of course, this was done through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so in reality, every born-again believer in Jesus Christ is a saint, what the Bible calls you. So it would not be unbiblical for me to say, hey, St. Jim right here, right? St. Chris is right here. And you can fill in your name. We don't think that way, do we? We usually use a term like Christian. But did you know the term Christian only shows up a couple times in the New Testament at all? And it wasn't even Christians calling themselves Christians. It was outsiders calling them Christians. But the word saint is used within the New Testament over 60 times to refer to believers in an effort that we might have in our mind what we are positionally in Christ. Speaks of your identity, your position. What it doesn't speak of is your performance. See, the word saint is often misrepresented in our culture to be associated with performance, isn't it? We often will even use it in in common vernacular of somebody that came over to help us. Like maybe your friend comes over and he helps you move out of your house. He moved all your furniture all day and you go, man, you're such a blessing. You're a saint, man. Why do we say that? Because he did good things. He performed well. We associate that word saint with performance. If you get to the Roman Catholic view, it's all performance. If you're going to become a saint in the Roman Catholic view, it's quite a long process. First of all, you have to be dead for five years before you're even eligible for sainthood. And then what has to happen, somebody has to show up with a whole bunch of evidence of all the good deeds that you did, present that to the Pope, and it's all performance-based. Let me tell you of all the good deeds that so-and-so did and why he qualifies to be a saint. And then you have to present evidence that they've done miracles. And so you show up with this entire pile of evidence to show that this person is good enough to be declared a saint. And if the Pope looks at the evidence and he says, yeah, I think that guy's good enough, well, you're a saint then. But that's not biblical. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, the moment that you believed, I don't care if you were in a, in a jail cell down in, in OCCC. The moment that you believed, you became a saint, one of God's holy people. And that's because this holiness that you received is all about position and not about performance. It's your new identity in Christ. That, church, was the point of the cross. We were stained by sin with no way to approach a holy God. And so Jesus came and he bore our sins in his body to remove our stain of sin and to give us his righteousness. And so we are holy, but we're made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ, not because we have performed so well. You're not a saint because you did so wonderful. You're a saint because Jesus Christ made you holy by his blood. And that's why John would say in, in 1 John 1, 7, that it's the blood of Jesus, his son, that cleanses us from all sin, past, present, and future. That's what makes you holy. Let me give you a few more verses to kind of drive this home. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 will come up on the screen. It says, you... We're once far away from God. Can anybody testify to that? 
You were once far away from God. You were His enemy, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, He has reconciled you to Himself. Who did it? He did it. He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in the physical body. As a result, He has, not we, He has brought you into His own presence and you are, not that you will be, not that hopefully one day you'll be good enough to achieve, but you are holy, blameless, as you stand before Him without a single fault. That is your position in Christ. That's what the death of Jesus Christ bought you on the cross. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, He made Him, speaking of Jesus, He made Him, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is what's commonly known as the divine exchange. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness, that we might be made righteous with His righteousness couple other verses. We looked at these last week. Hebrews 10.10. For God's will for us is that we would be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Christ. How did we get holy? Because we were so good this week, wasn't it? That's how we got holy. Because we performed so well and behaved so well. No, it says right there, you're made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Or Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And so for all of us who have surrendered our life to Christ, the right understanding of yourself is as a saint, holy, blameless, without a single fault. That is your position in Christ. That is the way that the Father sees you now. That is your new identity in Christ. Not because of anything that you have done, but solely because you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. His righteousness has been placed upon you. Now, here's why it's so very important for you and I to understand our position in Christ. That is because the way that we view ourselves will affect everything. The way that you understand who you are, the way that you see yourself, your self-perception, the way that you understand you are will affect the way that you think, will affect the way that you act, will affect the way that you interact with other people. And so if you don't have your identity firmly rooted in Christ, you end up with identity issues. If you don't have a strong sense of who you are because you're a child of the king, then you go out searching, don't you? To try to find out who you are. Asking questions, where does my value come from? Where can I find fulfillment? What will give me a sense of acceptance? And the danger for any of us, and we see it all the time in the world around us, don't we? that we then look for identity and value and fulfillment and acceptance in lesser things, don't we? For some people, it's their career. 
They did this thing their whole life. That's who they are. Their entire identity is wrapped up in that. I had a lady tell me after first service, she said, that was me. She had this particular job for 30 years, and it was who she was. And after a medical issue, she couldn't work anymore, and she went home and woke up the next day and didn't know who she was. Because her entire life was being that person, that career. It was all wrapped up in that. For others, it's the things that they own, their bank account and their possessions. For others, it's some sort of position that they hold. They're the boss or their rank or whatever they are. For others, it's, it's being a mom or a dad. My whole identity is being a dad, right? For others, it's their good looks. They're, they're super pretty or a handsome gentleman or their talent or, or their athletic ability. For, for some, it's their achievements or they're, they're a musician or an artist or whatever it is. And their whole life is wrapped up, their entire identity is wrapped up in that one thing. And there's nothing inherently wrong with any one of those in and of itself. But the problem comes in when we look for our identity in those. The problem comes in when we look for our ultimate fulfillment and our value in anything like that. And the reason is this, because ultimately, inevitably, Without a doubt, all of those things will fail you at some point. Every single one of them will. Because none of those things were ever designed to carry your identity. None of them were ever designed to carry your ultimate fulfillment. None of them were designed to carry that much weight. They can't handle that much weight. And so when your identity is completely wrapped around anything like that, what happens when it's gone? What happens when the career is gone? You're like that lady. I wake up the next day. I don't know who I am. What happens when your entire life is wrapped around your possessions and your money and it's gone one day? Or your position, you're the boss, but then you get laid off. You're not the boss anymore. What happens when it's all about being dad? I'm a dad. That's my identity. My entire identity is in this kid over here. And then they move away. Or your entire identity is is being a wife and, and you've built your whole life around being a wife and your husband leaves you or passes away. What happens then? What happens when it's all about your good looks? But then one day you wake up, look in the mirror and that started to fade. None of you guys, other people. What happens when your entire identity is in your talent, your athletic ability? That's who I am. I'm that guy that scores that many goals, or surfs this good. I'm that guy. What happens when that fades and fails you? You get disillusioned. You don't know who you are anymore. Right? You cease to understand your place and your value in the world, and you somewhat feel adrift, don't you? You see why where we place our identity is so important for us? Now, Sometimes our identity is in the things like that, the things that we attach ourselves to, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes we allow other people to shape our identity by the labels that they place upon us, the things that they say about us, the things that they think about us. Sometimes we allow somebody else to shape our identity. Some of you guys have been so drastically bullied that you've allowed that to shape your identity. Somebody called you ugly, dumb, stupid, worthless, or unwanted so long that you began to believe it about yourself. 
Maybe even worse, it came from verbal abuse from a, a spouse or a parent that belittled you for so long as you grew up or degraded you for, for so long. And you heard it so often that you began to believe that that was true of you. And your identity and your image was shaped by somebody else. And that has affected your entire life. It's affected the way you think about things. It's affected the way that you interact with people. Whether you are outgoing and lash out at people because of it, or whether you withdraw from people because of it, it's affected you. And so identity is a big deal, isn't it? And the reason that we meaning humanity, are so image fragile is because we've lost our true identity. The reason that humanity struggles so much and has such an identity crisis and is out there searching for its identity is because we've lost our true identity. The reason that that so many people are looking for fulfillment in lesser things The reason that you would ever accept the way that someone else defines you is because humanity has lost its true identity. You see, our true identity was always meant to be in God. Always. But it was lost when sin came into the world. In Genesis chapter 1, we're told where our identity is supposed to be formed. And it tells us in verses 26 and 27 this. It'll come up on the screen. Then God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And God then created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so humanity was created in the image and the likeness of God. We were meant to be image bearers of God, His holy people set apart from all of the rest of creation. And being created, in, and I need to clarify one thing lest somebody misunderstand. Being created in the image of God doesn't mean that we're like God in everything. Adam and Eve were not made to be like God. We're not like Him in deity. We're not like Him in His omnipresence and omniscience and omnipotence. We're not all powerful. We're not all knowing. We're not everywhere all the time. We're not like God in everything. What it means to be created in the image of God is that you were uniquely created with certain capacities and certain attributes that were designed to be like God. That means that you have moral capacities, relational capacities, spiritual capacities, mental capacities, emotional capacities, and creative capacities where you were designed to be like God. And here's the reason, so that you could have a relationship with Him. You were designed unique from the rest of creation with these capacities so that you could relate to God like nothing else in all of creation right? He created you for a relationship, unique. Your parakeet was not created in the image of God. You were. And the greatest thing about being created in the image of God is now you have this special, deep capacity for a real, meaningful, and dynamic relationship with God. And Adam and Eve, before the fall, If you think back, 
their entire identity, their whole life, their existence, and their understanding of self was completely wrapped in God. If you asked them who your creator is, they would say, well, it's God. How did you get here? God made me. How'd you get that wife? Took one of my ribs and made her. We know who made us. You ask somebody today, where'd you come from? You're going to get all kinds of answers. Well, there was this slime a long time ago, and, you know, and then it turned into something that turned into something that turned into me, right? But they knew their, their whole identity was wrapped up in God. Who's your provider? Eve would tell the serpent when she was tempted that God made this whole garden for us. He has provided everything that we need. We can have anything in this garden except that one tree over there. We don't touch that tree. But everything else is for us. He's our complete provider. We've never wanted for anything. We've never worked a day in our life. Work was a part of the fall, right? Never worked a day in their life. Completely provided for. Where do you find meaning and value? In a relationship with God. Because I walk with Him daily in the garden. That's what Adam and Eve would have told us. Because why? Their whole life, their whole identity, their entire value was enveloped in God. That's the way it was meant to be. That's the way it was designed by God. Anything else was always meant to be secondary to being a child of God, to being created in His image, and to having a relationship with God. If you're a wife, if you're a husband, that was all secondary to that relationship that you had with God. If you've got a job or a possession or kids or any of that, that was always to be secondary. The fullness of our identity, acceptance, and value was to be in God and God alone. But in Genesis chapter 3, what happened? Our identity was lost when they believed that God wasn't enough for them anymore and that there was something more. You see, Satan tempted Eve and said, hey, you should really eat that fruit from that tree over there, the one one that God told you not to eat from. Eat that fruit because if you do, in that moment, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And what Satan is ultimately saying to Eve is that God is holding out on you. There's something more. There's something better. You should pursue that. And for the first time, Adam and Eve felt their identity in God was not enough. They longed for something more and they went out after it. And the serpent said to them, I'll hook you up. I got a new identity for you. You come eat this fruit and you'll be as smart as God. In fact, you'll be just like Him. So instead of looking to God for who they were, instead of being defined by the love of their Creator, instead of finding their value in God and God alone, they listened to the serpent, they bought into the lie, and they went after something that was going to be better and more than God had provided for them. And that was the fall of humanity. And our true identity was lost. And the image of God in us was marred at that time by sin. And from that moment forward, humanity has been searching for their identity, looking for who they really are, searching for meaning and value, trying to find fulfillment and trying to find acceptance. And then Jesus came. And he died on a cross to restore that lost identity so that you and I would stop searching for our our identity, so that you and I would stop looking for fulfillment and value and acceptance in lesser things. 
And so that we would be renewed to the personal relationship that we were created for. We were created in His image to have that relationship. That image was marred and lost. And Jesus came to restore that image. The Bible says you were born again. You're a new creation in God. That Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness that we might be made righteous with His righteousness. And it's in His righteousness, His righteousness and His alone that you and I stand holy, blameless, without a single fault. It's only in His righteousness and His holiness that we are ever called saints. That's our identity in Christ. That's our position before God. That's where you and I are supposed to find our value because we're so loved by God. You see, now, if you and I get that and we carry that identity, it changes things, doesn't it? We start to think differently, don't we? We start to act differently and we start to interact with one another differently because my identity, my value is no longer wrapped up in my career. If I lose my career, whatever, I'm kind of sad about it, but my identity wasn't in it, so it doesn't crush me. Your identity's not in your status, your bank account, your talent, or your relationships. No longer will I let anybody define who I am, because I'm a saint. I know who I am. I'm defined by, and I find my fulfillment in, my identity in God and Him alone. You know, my little daughter, she'll come home from school sometimes. Man, little girls can be cruel. I don't know how you girls do it. I don't know how you survive. We guys had a better deal. If we had an issue, we'd go out back, throw a few punches, and we were over it. We were hugging each other and playing basketball next. You girls, man, you'll, you'll call each other names. Not you guys. I mean the other ones. You guys are awesome. But, but other girls somewhere else. But my little daughter, she'll come home from school just broken because some little girl said something about her and called her this thing. And, and, and I'll be like, but are you that thing that she called you? I mean, is is that what you are? No. Then what do you care? Let let me tell you who you are. You're a daughter of the King. Like, Like, don't worry about what that little girl, she didn't create you. She didn't create you in her image. Who is she? Let me tell you who you are in Christ. You see, it changed the way we think. It's supposed to change the way we act. It's supposed to change the way that you and I interact with other people. Now, when we get this, when you you and I understand the truth of this, that our position is holy before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, then what you and I are to do is set out on this journey of bringing our lives in line with our, with our positional reality. We should then want to live out practically who we are positionally in Christ. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. It's talking about all these different sins and everything in, in context, but it says this, fornication and all uncleanness and covetous. Now look at what it says. This is the important part. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. It's saying you're a saint, so don't allow these things to even be named among you. Now, it's saying because you're a saint, you need to turn away from these things. It is not saying turn away from these things in order to become a saint, but rather 
now that I have been set apart, now that I am one of God's holy people, I need to live like it. I want to bring my life in line with what I am positionally in Christ. Because here's what happens. When you are a saint, but you're knowingly living sinfully, it'll wear you out. There's going to be no real joy for you and no real peace when you really belong to God, but you're living in rebellion to His Word. You know what His Word says, and there's some level in which you love Him, but you're walking apart from Him. There's going to be no peace. It's going to wear you absolutely out to try and do both at the same time. Somebody came up with this saying a while back. I don't know who made it. I think it's a brilliant saying, but they said this. They said, you have too much of God in your life to enjoy sin, and you have too much sin in your life to enjoy God. See what they're saying? You're right in the middle. You can't enjoy your sin, and you can't enjoy your God. Go one way or the other. Go over there and enjoy your sin, or come over here and enjoy your God. But if you're trying to do both, you're going to be absolutely miserable, and it's going to wear you out. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to be unfruitful, and it's going to always fail you. But it need not be that way, and here's why. Because with our new identity, we also got a new way to live. And with that new way to live, we were also given the power to live it through the Holy Spirit. We don't have to live in that place of limbo. We were given the power to live out what we were called to live out. So what I'd like to do as we close this thing up, we've got a couple minutes left. I want to read a passage for you. And my hopes was that it would just wash over you, that, that you would just take the time. Sometimes when somebody's going to read some scripture, I just kind of close my eyes and I just sit in it for a moment and just allow it to kind of sink into my heart. It comes from Romans chapter six, and I'm going to read this for you. But I want you to know what's going on in Romans chapter six. In Romans 6, it's dealing with people that might be kind of like the people we were just talking about. Someone who might think or say, well, because I've been given so much forgiveness and because I've been given so much grace by God, I don't really need to deal with sin. Like, I don't really need to take it serious. Because he's so forgiving and and so gracious, he's just going to keep giving me grace and and forgiveness. So I'm not going to really take it serious. So I'm going to be a Christian, but I'm not going to really worry about living out that transformed life. That's what Romans 6 is dealing with. And I just want to read it for you. So if you would just let this sink into your heart as I read it. It says this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined to Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined into his death? For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. 
For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And when we died, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives, he lives to the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to those sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that truth right there. We pray that we would allow the truth of who we are now in Christ to wash over us this morning, to change the way that we think, to change the way that we act. Lord, I pray for any in here who have allowed their identity to be shaped by the things of this world, be it career or athletic ability or possession or anything else. And I pray for those in here that have allowed their identity to be shaped by somebody else. Something mean that somebody said to them. A bully. Somebody maybe even close to them that has called them that name for so long that they began to believe it. Lord, I pray that you'd set them free this morning and remind them that they are a son or a daughter of the king. That they are a saint, holy, beloved, and called by you. Pray that would sink deep into our hearts. And that when we leave here today, Lord, we would leave here with the determination now to bring what is practical in our lives in line with what is positional in our lives. That we would leave here and want to bring our lives in line with the truth of who we are in you, Christ. And we recognize that you have given us that by the power of the Holy Spirit. You would never have called us to be and do something that you would never give us the power to do, and you have. So may we surrender our lives now and walk in that power in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Amen.